Plastic Planet. Plastic Planet, Part 1, The Pre-Pandemic Days, Chapter 15, Rom in New York. I mean to make myself a man, and if I succeed in that, I shall succeed in everything else. James Garfield. Ram Jam Rami Ram was the son of a Myanmar diplomat. The family accompanied his father on diplomatic appointments throughout Asia and India. The experiences as a diplomat's son exposed Ram to various cultures, shaping his opinions, providing a diverse education, and giving him insight into the ways of the world. Shortly after turning 18, Ram moved to New York. His father paid the airfare, sending Ram with enough money to cover three months' expenses. Ram, though wise for his age, was still 18. He arrived in New York, took in the sights, hung out at the nightclubs, and partied like a rock star, depleting his funds in three weeks. Ram's pride kept him from reaching out to his family for more money. He was determined to find his own way, a difficult prospect in the absence of income or gainful employment. Ram, no longer able to pay the tab for a hotel, wandered the streets of New York, reflecting on his dilemma, deeply disappointed himself for his irresponsible behavior. Ram sat exhausted on a bench in Central Park, watching the morning sun rise above the New York skyline. Hungry and tired, but not de deterred, he remained steadfast. A woman walked by briskly, talking solemnly on her device in hushed tones, dizzily upset. She stopped at a trash can next to where Ron was sitting, tossing a food wrapper and a beverage cup. Looking around to make sure no one was watching, Ron approached the trash can to fish out a half-eaten sandwich and half cup of coffee before returning to the park bench to eat. Ashamed, but hungry. Ron dreamed of coming to America to find financial success. In Ron's mind, the best way to realize his goal was to follow the money. After finishing breakfast, he left Central Park en route to the financial district to visit some brokerage firms, hoping to become a stockbroker. Rom spent most of the previous night in a subway station accessing information about New York brokerages from this device. He already understood how the markets worked, learning the nuances of investing from his father. Rom called on six firms before noon, each time being turned away. Frustrated and disappointed, he returned to Central Park to reflect on his dilemma. The next stop was Astor Financial, a major player on Wall Street. The brokerage was headed up by CEO Felicia Phillips, a black woman who rose through the ranks dominated by white men. Rom arrived outside of the building, found a spot to observe and watch as people entered and left. Rom's observation provided insight into the company culture and what demeanor to use when approaching. Status symbols were paramount, being displayed in clothing, accessories, hairstyles, jewelry, communication devices, and even personal assistance. Rom watched a stockbroker in a $2,000 suit sporting a $5,000 Rolex with a $200 haircut on a $3,000 communication device accompanied by a personal assistant. After watching for 40 minutes, Rom realized he lacked what he needed to sell himself. Too broke to purchase the items, Ron took the subway to the Bronx to seek out his Uncle Ollie, who owned a men's clothing store. Ron departed the subway station to walk to his uncle's shop, hoping his uncle was not angry with him for not visiting yet. Ron took a deep breath and walked in. Ollie spotted Ron, surprised but pleased. He came from around the counter to greet his nephew, embracing him. 
Rom, praise God, it is good to see you. I've not seen you since you were a child of eight. Ollie held his hand, four feet from the ground, to emphasize. Come, let us go for coffee. I'll close up shop for a short break. Rom walked with his uncle to the coffee shop around the corner, choosing a table outside. Uncle Ali, I'm sorry. I hope you're not too angry with me for not visiting yet. Ron paused, feeling guilty. Rom, you're 18 years old in New York, one of the most exciting cities on Earth. I know you're busy taking in the sights, partying, and chasing girls. Ollie laughed before continuing. I'm just happy to see you now. Your Aunt Sasha will be delighted. I'll ask her to prepare a special meal. Ali reached for his device to contact Sasha. Uncle Ali, wait. I need to talk with you first. Ram paused, looking at Ali, feeling embarrassed. Okay, Ram, what's wrong? Are you in trouble? Do you need money? How could I help? Ali's voice expressed concern. Ram was his brother's son. I'm not in trouble, and I don't want money, but I do need your help. Please, allow me to explain. Ali met his gaze, nodding his head for Ram to continue. Ram thought it best to be honest. His Uncle Ali was a wise man who would know if Ram was being truthful. I'm a little embarrassed. My father paid my airfare to New York and provided me enough money to cover three months' expenses. He said to let him know if I needed more, but I feel it would be disrespectful to ask, considering I squandered the way, money away, partying, and living frivolously. Reality set in when I was no longer able to pay for a hotel. My dream is to become a stockbroker. I visited six firms this morning to apply, but have yet to land an interview. To gain understanding, I visited a brokerage this morning to observe. Ron paused to choose his words before continuing. My observation led me to believe the status symbols are a mask of a successful broker. Stylish clothing, the latest communication device, an expensive haircut, and a professional appearance are held in high regard. I was hoping to borrow some items from your store to help sell myself. I could return everything by end of day tomorrow. Ron fell silent, averting his eyes, waiting on his uncle's response. Ollie placed a hand on Ron's arm. Ron, of course, whatever you need. If you prefer, I could just give you the items or loan you the money to purchase what you want. No, Uncle Ollie, please. I prefer to borrow what I need. Perhaps I could join you and Aunt Sasha for dinner tomorrow when I return the items. Ali raised his hand and showed a surrender. Okay, Ram, whatever you need. Ali and Ram returned to the shop to gather, gather what Ram needed for his interview. Ram thanked his uncle, then left to go to the offices of Astor Financial, promising to return tomorrow for dinner. Ram was a proud and ambitious young man, determined to find success on his own. He arrived in Manhattan and changed in the subway station before departing to the station to walk to the to Astor Financial, determined to land an interview with high hopes of securing a spot in the firm's training program. Chapter 16, First Impressions Almost everyone will make a good first impression, but only a few will make a good lasting impression. Sonia Parker Ron picked out quality clothing and accessories, hoping to make a good impression first impression. He settled for mid-range quality clothing for the discerning shopper with limited resources, hoping the firm's hiring manager would view him as young, ambitious, and hungry. Rom walked boldly through the door, marching up to reception. The receptionist was on the phone when Rom planted himself in front of her.
His body length and demeanor commanded attention. When the reception did not acknowledge him right away, Ram glanced at his watch impatiently. Ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, Ram said loudly to get her attention. The receptionist looked up, holding a finger, requesting he be patient. I'll be right with you, she said, then returned to the call. Ram reached over, disconnecting her headset. Sir, she said loudly, preparing to launch into an angry rant. Ram held up his finger in the same manner. Please. Felix is expecting me. We spoke earlier, and I agreed to come in, but explained that I had a tight window for the interview. Please let Felix know that I'm here waiting. I don't have time to wait. If she doesn't want to see me now, I'll go to Ziegler. They just left a message. Ram gazed at her impatiently. The receptionist paused, gauging his sincerity, rolling her eyes. She rang Felicia. Felix, there's a pushy young man out here claiming he has an appointment. He said if you waste his time, he'll go to Ziegler. Disconnecting, she announced. Felix apologizes for the mix-up. Please have a seat. She'll be with you in five minutes. Ram muttered a, cut thank Ram muttered a curt thank you, but continued standing, looking at his watch. Five minutes later, Felix greeted him in the reception area. Ram, my apologies. My secretary must have overlooked our interview. Please, follow me. He followed Felix to her lavish office on the top floor. The office, well appointed, offered sweeping views of the city. Ram sat across from Felix, divided by a massive desk, smiling confidently, inwardly struggling to maintain composure. Felix fixed her gaze on him, allowing him to squirm uncomfortably. Smiling broadly, she leaned forward, motioning Ram closer. When Ram was as close to the huge desk but loud, she smiled. Ram, you're full of shit, Felix said softly, leaning back, watching Ram sweat, waiting for a reaction. Ram looked at her, seemingly outraged. Felix, I'm hurt. We spoke last month at a mixer. You said to stop by for the interview and that you were very interested in hiring me. Ram smiled, controlling his breath to minimize his ner a nervous reaction. Felix watched him observantly, allowing a full 30 seconds to lapse before clapping her hands in genuine admiration. Damn, kid. What are you, 18? Maybe you're even still in high school. Ram, that was by far the best bullshit coke haul I've ever seen. Impressive. Felix spent the next hour grilling him on his knowledge, gauging his strengths, and looking for weaknesses. At the end of the interview, she fell silent, peering at her desk, processing information. Ram was a very bright, but at his age posed a risk. Felix was weighing the cost of training against the likelihood that he would stay the course, finally going with her gut. Ram, honestly, you're a huge risk, with no financial experience and very little work experience. I will hire you with a 90-day probationary period. Upon completion of the probation, if you make it, I want to see your contract. I'm investing in you, Ram. Don't let me down. She peered at him gravely for a few seconds and then smiley, smiled, warming, extending her hand. Ram sighed with relief, breaking into a wide boyish grin. Thank you, Felix. Someday I'll be your top broker. He stood up, shaking her hand before departing. Ram joined his Uncle Ali and Aunt Sasha for dinner the next day. His uncle offered him lodging in a storage room at his clothing store in exchange for some light work around the shop. Ram left his uncle's house en route to his new temporary home in the storage closet of his uncle's shop, feeling grateful and giving thanks for his good fortune. Chapter 17 A Downward Spiral 
The more we value things, the less we value ourselves, Bruce Lee. Rom was with Oster Financial for five years. Young, successful, and well-respected, Rom amassed a fortune, being named in high society's list for New York's most eligible bachelors. Rom had everything he dreamed of, a great car, an upscale apartment, a sporty hovercraft, and all the luxuries money could buy. Still, he felt unfulfilled. At the end of the fifth year with his fifth year with Oster Financial, Rom quit the firm, traveling extensively throughout the world searching for his purpose in life. Rom traveled to Houston to spend his 24th birthday celebrating with his family. During his birthday party hosted by his sister, Mina, Rom met a young woman that would change the course of his life. Mary Miller was a ball of fire. Mary, a year older than Rom, had piercing blue eyes, bright red hair, and a fiery temperament. She recently earned a master's degree in environmental studies, taking a job as an activist with Green Seas. Mary spoke passionately about the environment and the impacts of human waste. Rom and Mary dated for a few months before making a mutual decision to go their own separate ways. During the relationship, Mary raised Rom's awareness about the world's environmental issues, influencing Rom to pursue a degree in environmental law. Upon graduation, Rom joined Green Seas, serving as counsel. Rom was grateful to find work and loved his job, but wanted to do more. Rom formed the environmental watchdog organization, Citizens Are Saving the Earth, CASE. CASE specialized in bringing suit against big businesses that were violating the law, holding offenders accountable. CASE was instrument, instrumental in reducing plastic production significantly by drafting legislation to regulate plastic manufacturing. CASE had a team of researchers that studied the impacts of plastic waste. The CASE team warned that plastic, aging plastic was producing poison, poisonous byproducts that were killing animals two years before the plastic poison gas pandemic began. Laws against the manufacture, sale, or use of single-use plastic were affected reducing plastic production by 25%. The reduction was commendable, but not enough. Humans still produce 105 million tons of plastic annually. Plastic continued to be used for food packaging, storage bags, garbage bags, and a host of other disposable plastic products. In the world of plastic manufacturing, profitability trumped safety and convenience overshadowed reason. Manufacturers continued producing plastic with no consideration given to the product's lifespan or what impact the waste would have on the planet. Most of the world's population believed that eliminating single-use plastic bottles and straws was enough to solve the plastic waste problem. In reality, it was a step in the right direction, but not enough. Case continued the good fight, bringing suit against the world's worst offenders, holding them responsible for plastic waste. Three years before the plastic pa gas pandemic began, Case appeared before a special congressional committee, warning of dangers posed by plastic waste. Case presented their data, collected from sites around the world, showing that plastic waste was responsible for numerous marine and wildlife kill-offs, and would likely impact humans at some point. Plastics Providing for People, a nonprofit group formed by plastic manufacturers, countered with pseudoscience and misinformation presented by well-paid scientists. After six months of deliberation, the committee drafted the Responsible Plastic Production Act, which called for a range of plastic products to include 
plastic garbage bags, plastic storage bags, and plastic packaging to be phased out over the course of 10 years. The legislation recognized there was a problem, but wanted to give manufacturers time to find alternatives. The Responsible Plastic Production Act was a small step in the right direction. The world was on the verge of an environmental catastrophe driven by plastic. <coughs> Case data had identified plastic waste as being responsible for the numerous marine and wildlife kill-offs, but case researchers were unable to pinpoint how the plastic waste was causing the kill-offs. Case issued public warnings that plastic waste posed dangers to humankind and that an environmental event driven by plastic was imminent urging supporters to reach out to the elected officials and ask them to act. Rom's statement aired around the world, receiving widespread media attention. Political commentators from the right portrayed Case to be bleeding-heart liberals spinning fairy tales that would eliminate jobs for hard-working Americans. The left used Rom's statement to expose the tyranny of fat-cat politicians protecting the wealthy and exploiting the poor. Social media exploded with posts supporting, posts discrediting, and posts making fun of Rom's statement. The mainstream media aired the story for two weeks before the public started losing interest. Time marched on with the, plastic, with the planet teetering on the brink of destruction. The changes to reduce plastic were not enough. The reality was it was too late. The world was already past the point of no return. Rom was heavy with the burden of knowledge surrounding decaying plastic waste, but he did everything possible to warn the world. Case researchers were still working diligently to determine how the plastic waste was killing the animals, updating him regularly on developments. Three months before the first human perish, case researchers determined the poison was a gas. Notifications were sent to government and media. The media ignored the notifications, the government reconvened the Plastic Waste Advisory Committee. The committee believed there was not enough evidence to issue official public warnings, but did authorize the construction of 12 safe living colonies located in major metropolitan cities across the nation. Rom was part of the team managing the construction of the safe centers. In exchange, Rom secured a space at one of the colonies for him and his staff. Rom and his staff were safe in their safe li living units when the poison plastic gas pandemic began. He felt guilty about those who perished, but Case did everything they could to warn the government and the public. Case alone could not protect the world, Rom reasoned. Besides, preserving his own life would allow him to survive, continuing to fight the good fight.